Welcome to the Possibly Haunted Podcast. Heather and today we are with Morgan, Cat, <laughs> and uh, yeah, um, we uh, I'm trying to get everything we've done so far. We have been we've been on kind of a ghost trip lately, um, which is really cool because we are the Possibly Haunted podcast. But I was just thinking the the other day when we were planning our our topics, I was like, you know what we haven't talked about in a while? Aliens. And every, I mentioned this in the last episode, every time I go home, I binge watch Ancient Aliens and my mom and get new <laughs> ideas and all of this stuff. Before we do that, we are doing a new thing. We've kind of mentioned before, but now it's the first time we're actually going to implement it, um, where we ask y'all our coven corners uh, pertaining to a certain episode. And so the uh, episode of Ghost Love... Had the Coven mm-hmm. Corner, what do you do to show love and appreciation for yourself? And uh, Rachel Elder, one of our listeners, uh, Hi, said Rachel! Bath- <laughs> Rachel! Um, she said bath nap, which sounds very relaxing, but also terrifying. That sounds I very totally, Rachel. Like, I totally nap in the tub. Rachel. I mean, I bought that really fancy bath pillow, and I have fallen asleep in my tub. See, I'm just afraid of, like, getting so comfortable in my body, just, like, gravity pulling me into the water, and then... I obviously wouldn't drown, but it'd be a very awful experience to wake up to. Although, I will say, I was just in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I stayed at the Hyatt for a conference, and it wasn't, like, their best room, let's be real, okay? Um, but the tubs were so deep that I could actually get my whole body in the water, and mm-hmm. they, it was slanted back... And they had a nice little actual, like, ledge so I could put a lot of towels to make a pillow. Oh. And also, obviously, hotel water is, like, actually lava hot. My whole skin turned red the moment I got into the water. It was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you, Rachel, uh, for commenting, letting us know what your answer to the Coven Corner is. Yeah. Um, so, for future listeners, uh, the Coven Corner we're about to talk about, when we post our little thing about it, just replied either on Facebook or Instagram. And honestly, you can just send us an email if you don't have all of those socials, um, and answer the question to yourself, um, and we'll read it in the next episode. So there we go. Cool, cool. Okay, so, but this week's Coven Corner, and pertaining to aliens, of course, um, is what is your worst fear regarding aliens? I kind of want Morgan to go last. Because I know... actual concrete fears. (laughs) Like, this is the one time her answer might be longer than mine. It might not. I have just a pretty solid answer. But she's very passionate about it. So, Kat, why don't you go first? (laughs) I mean, honestly, for me, aliens are low on the fears list. Um, But I think if I had to put, like, a finger on what would be concrete is that one time I watched a South Park episode. And for some reason, it, like, stuck in my head as an actual thing. Because it was the whole, uh, the aliens have been using our planet as a reality show. For the past, you know, <laughs> whatever, how many Mike. years, millennia, and yeah. uh, our show gets canceled. Yeah. And so, oh no, we're going to be destroyed. <laughs> and I'm like, totally that gonna is something gloss like that. Over. You're going to gloss know, over Cartman's uh, butt probe. 
Yeah, we're going to gloss over that part. <laughs> uh, but, like, you know, like, it's one of those things that it's, like, what if this is all just... And I think that's an overarching sort of fear in my life, is this is all just a Truman Show situation. Exactly. And then we're going to get canceled. It's okay. It's okay. Oh, Nothing's going it's okay. On. No, no one's going to cancel you, Bentley. We're probably <laughs> about to have a barking fit. That's okay, Mr. Bentley. Oh, Mr. B. Bentley. <laughs> It's okay, baby. Nothing happened. Um, <laughs> I, I, I actually, like, yeah, that's a pretty good, like, alien-related fear. Of, like, this yeah. is all just Truman Show or Matrix stuff. Yeah. I mean, can you really fear reality? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think everyone you, would say yes. You know what's very real and very scary is people stabbing you. This is our apocalypse season. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, so something kind of kind of similar. Um, so obviously, watch a lot of a lot of ancient aliens, um, and there's this idea that they created us to be slaves, to gather resources for them, and then when they didn't want us anymore, or some of their their creatures were intermingling with us, um, they're like, okay, this experiment's got to go. They tried to like put you know start the flood to erase us. But we persevere because we're basically cockroaches to them as cockroaches are to us and we survive anything. <laughs> um, the human spirit is hard to kill even with a chainsaw. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, all that, that, when I first thought of the question, like, I was like, oh, that's kind of my fear that they'll like come back to like finish the job. And then I really started thinking about it. I was like, actually, I'm more afraid of the possibility of they have been coming back and those abductions have been experiments to see how to make us more submissive to them or more useful to them um and i started thinking about that uh i think it's season two of ahs Mm. at the the asylum Mm -hmm. yeah and there's this particular human that whoever he mates with the aliens take and their children are like otherworldly and it's like okay what are you doing because he's cute well, but it's like, but it's something about this human and yeah. like his DNA and the possibility of being able to experiment and create new creatures. So, if mm-hmm. the abductions are true, then it kind of you know freaks me out. I was like, what? Why are they experimenting and what are they trying to make us into if we're not evolving fast enough for their needs? So it's one of the better seasons. It is one of the better seasons. I mean, frankly, it kind of sounds like both of y'all. I mean, it's like god level fear. God is, you know, if you believe in God, he's just up there manipulating the world, his own yeah, little TV show. Yeah, but he doesn't, like, pick you up and then send you back. I mean... What do you think the rapture is? In the same... Or dying we and seeing, had, seeing the rapture. light and coming back. That's, but not in the same body. And angels intermingling with humans and creating Nephilim, and God kills the Nephilim, yes, and he drowns all of the that, world. If you, if, like, in the other episode I talked about, all of that can be tied to the fact that God and those are actually aliens. Just saying. God complex, and, man. No, so honestly, <laughs> you know, that I wouldn't necessarily call it a God thing as much as it's, like, fear of Hollywood. <laughs> you know? Like, it's, yeah. it, I think all of my fears about aliens is that they're like humans. Yeah. Um, and if there's other more advanced species out there that are like us, we are screwed. Well, it's not scary. If they're like humans, I can shoot it with a gun. Yeah. Like I said, the human spirit is hard to kill even with a chainsaw, so more advanced than us could but be. But with our with to our kill. spirit, yeah, that'd be really But I'm difficult. I'm of the like line of thought but that maybe the common cold will kill them. 
You know, so we good. Maybe. We can figure it out. What is your fear, Morgan? I mean, other than the overarching fear that I'm always just going to see an alien, I mean, straight up abductions, man. Yeah. I don't want to be taken. And the thought that in all, like, the media and the movies we've seen is you can't, you can't stop it. You can't fight back. Like, a human abduction, I know I have a slim chance because I can fight back. You know, I can do something. I can yell. I can scream. Get attention. Punch ball. Whatever. Alien abductions, it's all... Like, what do you do? You do you even know where to hit? <laughs> you can't fight back. You probably aren't even awake to, like, they realize you're getting nards. abducted. <laughs> so, you can't yeah, that's... That, uh, that bothers me a lot. The few times we've been on a walk, and Bentley just looks straight up into the sky and starts barking, and I'm like, fuck it, spacecraft is over me. <laughs> God. And we're leaving it's clearly, now. clearly what's happening. So, yeah. I'm always so tempted to, like send you videos of like lights flickering out in the distance but like when i'm traveling in the desert i don't do it but i'm tempted oh i i live somewhere with flickering lights baird has got um you can see the lights when you go out to no outlet just like the lubbock lights Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i think it's it's not midland somewhere else in the area odessa that maybe but it's one of these other places marfa Marfa. it's the marfa lights yeah I was yeah. like, M, it's the Marfa Lights. I know so. about a few things in Texas, and one of those is Marfa. <laughs> so Baird has their own extraterrestrial lights. Oh. Which that makes explains sense, the fear for the aliens. Mm-hmm. They've already been there. Yeah. Uh, honestly, anybody who's listening who's not in West Texas, which is a smaller amount of our listeners, um, <laughs> yeah. if you ever get the chance to do like a night drive past a bunch of the wind turbines, it's actually really cool and beautiful, and it feels almost like those like submersion tanks where you just feel like you're in this sort of vast nothingness and you just see these lights in the distance that are like red and cool it's very nifty they totally freaked me out the first time i drove uh up onto the cap rock at night and all of a sudden in the space of a few seconds there were just hundreds of red lights and they all came on roughly at the same time and i was mm-hmm. like it's like no 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 wait they're blinking. Those are turbines. <laughs> I definitely really had a similar beautiful. experience because where I grew up, we don't have wind turbines like that. And so, like, I knew West Texas, windmills, all that good stuff. But when I showed up and I was like, okay, I didn't immediately go to Aliens. That was actually my second choice. My first one was like, what government experiments are happening out here? <laughs> yeah. That was my first thoughts. Um, okay. So, like I said, um, you can email us your response to what are your worst fears regarding aliens or wait for our social media posts and comment on those posts and let us yeah. know what your fears are. Um, okay, so today's episode, Aliens Part 2, who wants to go first? Mine's lighthearted, so, like, wherever you guys want to put me. I don't think anything's terribly dark. No, not okay. super duper dark. Mine is a little long. I'm going to do my best to cut it down, but mine's from the official MUFON website. Ooh. Okay, give us some MUFON news, yes, Morgan. Yes, give us some MUFON. Okay, um, so mine is the Travis Walton abduction in 1975. Travis oh, for Wal- people that need to know what is MUFON, sorry. We just said that a couple times and people might not know what that is. Mutual UFO Network. There you go. <laughs> yeah move on they keep trying to get me to become a member to read their stuff <laughs> like no thanks do it do it <laughs> so travis walton is a he is was an american logger who was supposedly abducted by a ufo on november 5th 1975 while working okay. with a logging crew <laughs> in the apache sitgreaves national forest in arizona yes it was on cat's birthday <laughs> 
Um, Walton eventually reappeared after a five-day search. So this has been, his case has been really mainstream. There's been a lot of publicity around it. Uh, there's a movie about it. It also has a lot of controversy. A lot of, uh, what's this thing called? The test. The lying test. Oh, lie detector? <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's gonna Polygraph? Be. Thank litmus? you. Uh, yeah. No, the litmus. Yeah, we got to test his acidity. Yeah. I was like, I think about it. I was like, what is it called? A litmus test? Yeah, no, Heather got a polygraph test. There were quite a few for him and, and the other people. Um, that, the logging crew. <laughs> <laughs> so, discovery in the woods. The case began on Wednesday, November fifth, nineteen seventy-five. <laughs> The then day of the year. <laughs> 22-year-old Walton was employed by Mike Rogers, um, who had, for nine years, contracted with the United States Forest Service for various duties. Uh, these guys were best friends. I guess it's worth noting, because maybe Rogers would lie for him. I don't know. Uh, they just make sure you need to know that. Mm -hmm. And they all lived in the town of Snowflake, Arizona. How cute. <laughs> So Rogers was hired to thin out scrub brush and undergrowth from a large area near Turkey Springs, Arizona, and he um, received from the Forest Service, and the job was behind schedule. So as a result, they all worked overtime to, to fulfill the contract, typically from 6 a.m. until sunset. Just after 6 p.m. on the 5th, Rogers and his crew finished their work for the day, and they piled into Rogers' truck for the drive back to Snowflake. The crew reported that shortly after beginning the drive home, they saw a bright light from behind a hill. They drove closer and said they saw a large silvery disc hovering above a clearing and shining brightly. It was around 8 feet high and 20 feet in diameter. Rogers stopped the truck and Walton leapt out and ran toward the disc. Stupid. The, <laughs> the others said they shouted at Walton to come back, but he continued toward the disc. The men in the truck reported that Walton was nearly, nearly below the object when the disc began to make, uh, make noises similar to a loud turbine. The disc then began to wobble from side to side, and Walton began to cautiously walk away from the object. Jerome Clark wrote that just, just after Walton moved away from the disc, the others insisted they saw a beam of blue-green light coming from the disc and strike Ooh. Walton. Yeah. Clark went on to write that Walton rose a foot into the air, his arms and legs outstretched, and shot back stiffly some ten feet, all the while caught in the glow of the light. His right Ooh. shoulder hit the earth, and his body sprawled limply on the ground. The search. About 7.30 p.m., Peters called police, Peterson, sorry, called police from uh, Heber, Arizona, which was near Snowflake. Deputy Sheriff Chuck Ellison answered the phone. And Peterson reported only that one of a logging crew was missing. Ellison then met the crew at a shopping center. Weird, but whatever. They related the tale to him, and all of the men were, like, super distraught. Two of them in tears. And though he was somewhat skeptical of the fantastic account, Sheriff Ellison would later reflect that if they were acting, they were awfully good at it. And so this leads into... All the proper channels notifying superiors they started interviewing all the men again formally they um they listened to the tale again you know the higher-ups and rogers insisted on returning to the scene immediately to go search for walton with tracking dogs if possible 
not possible. There were no dogs available. But the police and some of the crew returned to go look for him. Uh, some of them were actually too upset to help in the search. So they elected to return to Snowflake to tell the bad news to friends and family. They should have gotten uh, Bentley to help with the tracking. He's a great tracking dog. He's a terrible tracking dog. <laughs> <laughs> He's not even like a good sight hunter. I see foxes and cats way ahead of time before he does. No, he's great. (laughs) So, back at the scene, the law enforcement officers became suspicious of the story related by the crew, mainly because there was nothing in the way of physical evidence to back up the account. Though more police and volunteers arrived to search the area, they found not a trace of Walton. And, of course, winter nights could be bitterly cold in the mountains, and Walton was wearing only jeans, a denim jacket, and a shirt. So they were worried that Walton, uh, you know, could die of hypothermia if he was actually lost out there. Mm. And they go into so much detail that we don't really need because this is not a super-duper breakdown. They go and tell his mother, and they make note that she was pretty calm about it. And so they thought, you know, that's odd, and it made them suspicious. Mm-hmm. Uh this Ollie's and the Walton case has got tons of suspicious ideas around it and a lot of people don't believe it ever happened Uh, by morning of November 6 officials and volunteers had scoured the area around the scene where Walton went missing no trace of him was discovered and police suspicions were growing that the UFO tale was concocted to cover up an accident or a homicide Saturday morning Rogers and Dwayne Walton I think that's his brother uh arrived at Sheriff Gillespie's office explosively angry because they had returned to the scene and found no police there. So by that afternoon, police were again out searching for Walton with helicopters, horse-mounted officers, and jeeps. Oh, dang. Ooh. Uh, By that Saturday, his disappearance had started to spread internationally. There were news reporters everywhere, um, ufologists, (laughs) ufologists. And uh, curious people like just they all began traveling to Snowflake. Uh, and of course, all the logging crew kept saying that they were so worried about Walton. Um, do do do. We won't care about some of that. Talked about not being able to complete the forest contract. Which I'm like, why is that really important? But okay. Well, it, you know, it's one of those things that they might lose out on a bunch of money and still they're if they're still worried about their friend over that you know to be to um feel the this is a hoax area they did note that Dwayne Walton he reported that he and Travis Walton were actually interested in UFOs and that some 12 years earlier Dwayne had witnessed a UFO similar to the one witnessed by the logging crew um he, Dwayne and Walton, Travis Walton, had both decided that if they had a chance, they would get as close as possible to any UFO they might see. Just to explain why, if it was real, Travis Walton was like, I went right up to the UFO. <laughs> hey, dude, hold my beer. <laughs> you know. Dwayne suggested that Walton would not be injured by the aliens because they don't harm people. And so, with, with these kind of statements, without intending to do so, Rogers and Dwayne Walton had laid the foundations for an alternative interpretation of the case with their statements. Uh, Walton would later report that he never had a keen interest in UFOs, even after his supposed abduction, but the tape-recorded statement of his brother, Dwayne, while Walton was missing, runs contrary to Walton's statements. Mm. Mm. And this is sort of the thing that 
why so many alien abduction cases get debunked so often. There's just, there's always so much evidence to pile against it. Yeah. Oh, hello. Bailing. Okay. He's trying to take over. Yeah. <laughs> um, they contacted a doctor to be prepared for Walton's return. Um, his name was William H. Spaulding. And Spaulding suggested that if, Walt, if Walton ever returned, that um, they would provide a doctor to examine him in confidence. And Spaulding also suggested that if Walton returned, he should save his first urination after returning so it could be tested. Oh my gosh. So yeah, on November 10th, the crew took their polygraph examinations um, administered by the Arizona Department of Public Safety. And his questions asked if any of the men caused harm to Walton, if they knew where Walton's body was buried, and if they told the truth about seeing a UFO. The men all denied harming Walton, or knowing who harmed him, denied knowing where his body was, and insisted they had seen a UFO. Uh, they concluded that all the men were truthful, and the exam results were conclusive. The report said these polygraph examinations proved that these five men did see some object they believed to be a UFO and that Travis Walton was not injured or murdered by any of these men on that Wednesday. If the UFO was fake, uh, Gilson thought uh, this one of the cops in the case, five of these men had no prior knowledge of it. Yeah. Uh, like they believed they saw it and that's why they, mm -hmm. they passed the test. Following these tests, Sheriff Gillespie announced that he accepted the UFO story, saying, there's no doubt they're telling the truth. That's always nice to know. It's worth noting, way far in the future, in 2009, Travis Walton was a participant on a game show, The Moment of Truth. When asked if he was abducted by a UFO in 1975, he responded, yes, an answer which the polygraph examiner determined to be deceptive prior to taping. Ooh. And of course, Done. Walton... Walton said that uh, polygraphs are 97% accurate, even in the best cases. But, like, that, it's, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't really deal with polygraphs, you know. And so something that I found odd in the way they wrote about the story is that they kind of gloss over Walton's return. They skip straight to the ne their next section, the medical exam. And Dwayne, remembering Spaulding's promise of a confidential medical examination, without having notified authorities of Walton's return. And it's like, oh, how did they find him? Boom, Walton's back? Like, what the heck? Yeah. So, I think they might talk about it later, but... Um, they were disappointed to learn that the doctor Spalding had promised was not a medical doctor, but a hypnotherapist. Okay. Yeah. Which like, is just like... Well, it's like, no, no, nothing against that particular professional, but that's not what they needed. Yeah. So Walton's return made the news. By Tuesday afternoon, uh, word of his return had leaked out to the public, and... And how long was it between the return? Five days. Five days, okay, thank you. Um, that's a lot of time, that's not a lot of time of, like, all the spect speculation and, like, news reports and everything, that's five days, Yeah. Man. Seriously, if I had, it, let's say that I was the one that ran up to the aliens, hypothetically. You would. And, and <laughs> yeah, it's probably going to be me. And I was abducted and I was gone for five days. You guys would be tearing your hair out upset, I think. 
Like, at least I at didn't... the government not doing anything. <laughs> I'd be in the woods with a shotgun going, you damn aliens, give her back to me. <laughs> she'd go full, uh, you know, Winona Ryder and Stranger Things, where she's just running around going, Cat! And I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna put, put Scully up to the sky. I was like, bring her mom back. And maybe they'll like, oh, Scully's so cute, we have to return Cat. <laughs> yeah, that'll work. <laughs> So after Walton's return, they were getting a lot of phone calls from people, and one of them was from Coral Lorenzen, who was part of the Civilian UFO Research Group. And she actually arranged an examination for Walton by two medical doctors, uh, Joseph Saltz and pediatrician Howard Kendall at Dwayne's home. Dwayne agreed, and the exam began at 3.30 p.m. Tuesday. Uh... and get right to the medical examination. Revealed that Walton was in essentially good health, but there were some unusual features. A small red dot at the crease of Walton's right elbow that was consistent with a hypodermic injection, but the doctors also noted that the spot was not near a vein. Analysis of Walton's urine revealed a lack of ketones. This was unusual given that if Walton had indeed been gone for five days with little or no food, as he insisted, and as his weight loss suggested, his body should have begun breaking down fats in order to survive, and this should have led to very high levels of ketone in his urine. Critics would argue this inconsistency is as evidence against Walton's story. Walton would later speculate that he had gotten the mark on his elbow in the course of his logging work. Critics would speculate that the mark showed where Walton or someone else had injected drugs into his system. Clark dismissed this possibility of drugging as most unlikely, given that the medical doctors found no sign of it. But he was also, but he also notes that perhaps more difficult to explain is the absence of bruises, which one might expect in the wake of Walton's alleged beam-driven collision with the ground. That's true. So, this is Walton's report. Walton in the UFO. Walton reported that after approaching the UFO near the worksite, the last thing he remembered was being struck by the beam of light. When he woke, Walton said he was on a reclined bed. A bright light shone above him, and the air was heavy and wet. He was in pain and had some trouble breathing, but his first thought was that he was in a normal hospital. As his faculties returned, Walton says he realized he was surrounded by three figures, each wearing a sort of orange jumpsuit. The figures were not human. Walton described the beings as typical of the so-called greys, which feature in some abduction accounts. Shorter than five feet, and they had bald heads, no hair. Their heads were domed, very large. They looked like fetuses. They had large eyes, enormous eyes, almost all brown without much white in them. The creepiest thing about them were those eyes. They just stared through me. Their ears, noses, and mouths seemed real small, maybe just because their eyes were so huge. Walton related that he feared for his safety and got to his feet and shouted at the creatures to stay away. He grabbed a glass-like cylinder from a nearby shelf and tried to break its tip to create a makeshift knife, but found the object unbreakable, so instead waved it at the creatures as a weapon. The trio of creatures left him in the room. Matheson finds this portion of the narrative troubling, troublingly thats a stupid word inconsistent, <laughs> noting that despite his weakened condition, aching body, and splitting pain in his skull, maladies, 
for which no cause is suggested. He had no trouble jumping from his operating table, seizing a conveniently placed glass-like rod, and assuming a karate fighting stance. That's cool. It's like adrenaline. adrenaline. Yep. <laughs> Frightening the aliens with this display of macho aggression, enough to at least cause them to run away. And yes, adrenaline. If you wake up panicked, your body is going to surge you to move to do something. I mean, to be, the, the typical story what? of adrenaline is like the mother lifting the car to save her baby. Like, in the moment, your body does that so you can escape, and then you will literally die of exhaustion as soon as the <laughs> adrenaline's gone. Yeah, it's like, and also the aliens leaving out of fear, they probably like, oh, dude, you just settle down, I'm gonna... I'm gonna give you some time to yourself. But it's also, it's also one of those things, like, we have to, re- we have to remember, like, the, the potential of this being true, we can say adrenaline. I don't know how he related, and so he could have been like, oh, I was the toughest man ever. Like, he could have done that, that could have been the macho vibe, but who knows? But it so. could have been like, you know when you wake up and you're just like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> Every morning of my life. So Walton <laughs> he then left this so-called exam room via a hallway, which led to a spherical room with only a high-backed chair placed in the center of it. Though he was afraid there might be someone seated in the chair, Walton says he walked toward it. As he did, lights began to appear in the room. The chair was empty, so Walton says he sat in it. When he did, the room was filled with lights, similar to stars, projected on a round planetarium ceiling. The chair was equipped on the left arm with a single short, thick lever with an oddly shaped molded handle atop some dark brown material. On the right arm, there was an illuminated lime green screen about five inches square with black lines intersected at all angles. When Walton pushed the lever, he reported that the stars rotated around him slowly. When he released it, the stars remained at their new position. He decided to stop manipulating the lever since he had no idea what it might do. He, <laughs> he left the chair and the stars disappeared. He thought he had seen a rectangular outline on the rounded wall, perhaps a door, and went to look for it. Just then, Walton heard a sound behind him. He turned, expecting more of the short, large-eyed creatures, but was pleasantly surprised to see a tall human figure wearing blue coveralls with a glassy helmet. At the time, Walton said he did not realize how odd the man's eyes were larger than normal, and a bright gold color. Walton says he then asked the man a number of questions, but the man only grinned and motioned for Walton to follow him. Walton said that because of the man's helmet, he might have been unable to hear him, so he followed the man down a hallway, which led to a door and a steep ramp down to a large room Walton described as similar to an aircraft hangar. Walton says he realized he had just left a disc-shaped craft similar to the one he'd seen in the forest just before he had been struck by the light but the craft was perhaps twice as large. In the hangar-like room, Walton reported seeing other disc-shaped craft. The man led him to another room containing three more humans, a woman and two men, resembling the helmeted man. These people did not wear helmets, so Walton said he began asking questions of them. They responded with the same dull grin and led him by his arms to a small table. Once he was seated on the table, Walton says he realized the woman held a device like an oxygen mask, which she placed on his face. Before he could fight back, Walton says he passed out. When he woke again, Walton says he was outside the gas station in Heber, Arizona. One of the disc-shaped craft was hovering just above the highway. After a moment, the craft shot away, and Walton stumbled to the telephones and called his brother-in-law, Grant Neff. He thought that only hours, a few hours had passed. After yeah. hearing Walton's story, Gillespie speculated that Walton may have been hit on the head and drugged, then taken to a normal hospital where he confused the details of a routine exam with something more spectacular. Yeah. Walton yeah, dismissed kinda, this. It kind of sounds like, you know, it's one of those things that the, he, the aliens were like, hey, we're just going to be ourselves, he's going to love us. 
walked into the room. He swung something at them. They're like, okay, let's regroup. Let's reconsider. Let's put our human skin suits Maybe on. Maybe we should be more like him so he doesn't freak out as much because his lizard brain is not having a good time. So let's be like those aliens in the 1950s cartoon, but like space people. It'll be great. And then it was like less scary for him. Maybe. That would scare the crap out of me more. Like, you have golden, big golden eyes, and you're not saying anything. Yep. <laughs> True. So, it's kind of uncanny valley. Walton yeah. um, dismissed the thought of getting hit, noting <laughs> that the medical examination had found no trace of head trauma or drugs in his system. And he told the sheriff he was willing to take a polygraph, a truth serum, or undergo hypnosis to support his account. And the sheriff said a polygraph would suffice, and he promised to arrange one in secret to avoid a growing media circus. Um, he was, actually, Walton was hypnotized, hoping to uncover more details of the missing five days. Mm. Uh, and they, they wrote that, unlike many other abductees, however, Walton's conscious recall and unconscious memory were the same, and he could account for only a maximum of two hours, perhaps less, of his missing five days. Curiously, Walton encountered an impenetrable mental block and expressed the view that he would die if the regression continued. So, we'll skip over all the uh, the polygraph details. <coughs> Bless you. Be- because it's a lot, and we don't need to go into that far detail. Or we can have a part three. We, we can go... Yeah, yeah and honestly, or people, the tr- like, the, this is, they did it on last podcast, right? I don't know if they've done Travis Walton yet. Oh, okay. Well, you know. I'm sure there are other podcasts who were like, you know, multi-episode deep dive as well. Oh, I love it. Yeah. So, in the aftermath, in 1978, Walton published a book, The Walton Experience, where he outlined his own narrative of the events. And so there's a book. And we do know that um this is the inspiration for the movie fire in the sky okay 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 pop culture references yes i've actually it's been on my watch list for a very long time but um i haven't i just haven't watched it yet but basically all the polygraph stuff in the book in the aftermath it's it's all just about more suspicions that walton is making it up and because as you go on your memory can get a little clouded yeah yeah (laughs) and you can confuse events and things and so that is something that i think um when he wrote his book some of his statements weren't the same as earlier and of course you know people were like it's fake they're like aha got you finally but i'm thinking too like if he was high on something that got out of a system in five days or whatever and he confused the doctor stuff the more he gets out of that uh, fogginess, and the more people he's like trying to like justify or like figure out what happened, like the story would change. You could, you could, the brain is so mm-hmm. flipping powerful, like, and like that is something else, you know. And later admissions, he had admitted to smoking pot before in his life, but not before the logging incident, right? And so, you know, there's just a number of factors that can be proved, can Otherwise. be proved that. Yeah, and, and unlike, this you is... know, Reefer Madness, Pot isn't going to make you think you got abducted by aliens. From the movie. Yeah. Uh, the fire in the sky alien from the movie. I just showed yeah. Heather. 
Which don't look like his description, because their eyes are tiny. Yeah. So, whatever. Maybe they were like, oh, it's not his alien. Oh, <laughs> it's those so Hollywood alien beauty standards. We just can't live up to it. But a little, little long, little Big wordy, but the Travis eyes. Walton case is very famous. Yeah. So, kind of, it's just, I just, we had to talk about it for a minute. But it's very did. cool. Now That's somebody else can go in my less wordy academic, someone got a fun abduction, I don't know. <laughs> go ahead. Mine's, mine's not an abduction, but I find it fun. Because <laughs> it involves uh, our 39th president of the United States, Jimmy Carter, who is from Georgia. <laughs> we had one, guys. We had one. <laughs> we had a couple, but we're not going to talk about that right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so just so people know that are, you know, we do have some l- listeners outside of the U.S., so I'm going to give you a quick, like, Jimmy Carter overview. Um, it's going to be so quick, because this is not a politician kind of podcast okay so james earl carter jr who is fantastic is an american politician a philanthropist and a former farmer um he is a member of the democratic party he was a georgia senator and the governor of georgia and he has been awarded the nobel peace prize for his work in co-funding the carter center he does a lot of he's you know um let's see here he was born in like 60 wait no he was born in 24, so he is still no. doing, he was, he was, he's still doing philanthropic work, um, at almost 100 years old, so he is really cool. Um, <clears throat> so just so you know, that's sort of him. If you look him up, uh, at any point, he does a lot of really cool things, a lot of things about helping people who need help and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Really cool guy. Uh, there's a picture that was used for his campaign where it's a peanut with a huge smile and it's like something you go see when you're a uh, kid in Georgia is you take this like sort of couple day weekend where you drive around Georgia and look at things and you go past his house which in his town has the giant peanut with the smile because he was famous for his really big grin why Um, a peanut he's a peanut farmer yeah yeah okay (laughs) yeah and so uh, it's, it's this entire thing, and he, when our bus went past, he came out onto the porch and waved at us and that sort of thing. Aww. And his his wife was gardening when we drove past. It was very nice. No one um, cares. Get to the aliens. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> so that's Jimmy Carter. So, <clears throat> imagine you are in Leary, Georgia, 1969. Leary, Georgia is a teeny yeah. little town in Calhoun County, Georgia. Calhoun. So... Calhoun! So it's the evening. Um, It is a little before Jimmy Carter uh, became the president of Georgia. Um, He was preparing to give a speech at the Lions Club meeting. It's about 7.15, and one of the guests that he was talking to said, oh, look at that thing over there. Um, And there's a strange object that was visible about 30 degrees above the horizon uh, to the west of where he was standing. He describes the object as being bright white and is about as bright as the moon. And they also, in one of the other things that I watched, he said it's as big and as bright as the moon. So it's a big, bright object in the sky. Um, it appeared to have closed in on where he was standing, but stopped beyond a stand of pine trees some distance from him. So it seemed like it was coming to check out what was going on. And then it changes colors, first to blue, then to red, then back to white. And then is like, gonna leave, and starts to recede back into the distance. So it's like it, 
<laughs> I'm imagining it, like, goes up to the edge of these uh, pine trees and is like, ooh, what's over here? And then as That's soon as exactly everyone's like, what the alien what's said. that? Ooh, leave. <laughs> Goodbye. Um, so Carter said uh, that he felt the object was self-illuminated and not solid in nature. Um, so it, it was witnessed by 10 or 12 other people. Uh, it was in their view for 10 to 12 minutes until it passed out of sight. So it wasn't like a quick thing. It stayed there for a while, which hmm. is kind of cool. Um, in 1973, uh, he made a statement that there are about 20 of us outside a little restaurant, I believe a little high school lunchroom, and some kind of green light appeared in the western sky. It was right after sundown. It got brighter and brighter, and then eventually it disappeared. It didn't have any solid substance to it, but it was a very peculiar-looking light. None of us could understand what it was. Later, that was in 73, in 2005, he said, all of a sudden, one of the men looked up and said, look, over to the west. And there was a bright light in the sky. We all saw it. It got light, got closer and closer to us. Then it stopped. I don't know how far away, but it was stopped beyond the pine trees. Changed color to blue, then to red, then back to white. Um, when we were trying to figure out what in the world it could be, it receded into the distance. So... Uh, he had this the sighting and as a politician still went to um nasa essentially and said hey i want to make a report that this is something that was happens so there is on record a report where he has signed you know jimmy carter and written down everything that he believes he had seen um and he did talk about this during his election campaign um so he had the, it had this uh, impact on his like public perception and also had a personal impact on him. Um, so during his 76 election campaign, he told reporters that uh, if because of this this sighting, he said he wanted to institute a policy of openness if he were elected to office. And he said, one thing's for sure, I'd never make fun of people who say they've seen unidentified objects in the sky. If I become president, I will make every piece of information in this country that has UFO sightings available to the public and to the scientists. However, despite the pledge, um, <laughs> once he was elected, he distanced himself from disclosure, citing defense implications as beyond his dis- uh, being behind this decision. So, no, show us the big book of aliens from Area 51. <laughs> no, no anything against him or his policy reign of presidency, but what a typical politician. Yeah, so, I know. I promised you this, <laughs> yeah. and oh, it turns out I, I can't. My bad. Which also, yeah. like, like, just don't promise, like, you already know, Area 51, government, you're, no matter if you're president, you aren't gonna be, there's only one person, I think, who could, like, bypass all that bullshit and get shit done, not done, fuck shit up, is the current president. We're not gonna get into that, because we're not a political podcast. Continue, Kat. <laughs> but yeah, and so, like, there's, there's actual, like, news reports, and you can find his, his, like, report to NASA being like, hey, you should check this out. NASA was took actually apparently took it very seriously, um, and did some investigation into it. Yeah, because um, they know aliens are real. <laughs> yeah, NICAP uh, published it in uh, 1977. Um, the Washington Post has done a story on this. Uh, there is uh, an Atlanta Constitution, which is the Atlanta newspaper, 
uh, their article on it in 73 was, Carter once saw a UFO on a very sober occasion. And, you know, it's just stuff like that. It was in the National Enquirer. It's just one of those weird little things that I really enjoy. And it's one of the reasons I like history is that you find out little things like this. Yeah. Is yeah. that we had a president who was like, yeah, I saw a UFO, dude. Freaking happens. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, is that it? Yeah, that's it. That's it. I don't want to cut you off early. I like it. So we had a <coughs> an abduction story. Yep. And then we had a sighting and a redacted and then a recall. We're not going to get into that. <laughs> um, and now we're going to go to a species Ooh. of aliens. Um, I'm going to talk about the reptilians. Ooh, um, yes. We, we're all... oh, I'm sorry. Is my is my face showing? Do I need to pull my mask down? <laughs> um, and it's all about moisturizer, Morgan. <laughs> we kind of did that la- a little bit last time. We talked about the beautiful Norse-like Nordic aliens. Um, Nordic aliens. Uh, and yes, then, the beautiful blondes. I don't remember. Did we talk about the greys? Probably. Um, so we kind of know a little bit of that. There's actually not too many species that. These are all, first of all, speculated because we don't have like one in the vault that we know of. Um, so this is just another speculated species. Um, but just so you know, they're also called reptoids, lizard people, reptiloids, saurians, draconians. Okay. Just, you know, a few names. Um, and they're uh, reptilian humanoids that play a prominent role in fantasy, science fiction, ufology, and conspiracy theories. Ufology. Ufology. <laughs> um, I kind of like ufology. Just, you know, a little, a little ring to it. Um, so they have appeared in mythology, folklore, fiction, and conspiracy theories all over uh, the world. Many cultures have le- legends of creatures that are part human and part reptile. One of the first historical, de- <laughs> and we say historical as in the sense that myths and legends are part of history. Mm-hmm. Um, the first historical depiction of a reptilian humanoid was the ancient Egyptian deity Sobek, who has the head of a crocodile. Oh. He was depicted with similar traits, such as being aggressive and animalistic. In South Asian and Southeast Asian mythology, the Naga are semi-divine creatures which are half-human and half-serpent. Um, and I want to clarify, we're going to distinguish these reptilian alien beings from the mythological lizard creatures that are from underground that descended from dinosaurs and humans which is a myth uh, separate on itself i thought they were the same thing they are not the same thing it's good to know um and i'll get to pop culture reference of why they're different okay cool <laughs> um so okay so just i have this categories breaking up between stories abduction and conspiracy so we can kind of categorize our way of thinking today so stories these humanoid-reptile hybrids are believed to have made their first literary appearance in the Robert E. Howard's The Shadow Kingdom, of published in August 1929, issue of Weird Tales. Later, uh, he works with Lovecraft and continues to develop these ideas. Some people were saying on- online that this is Howard had a big part to do with Cthulhu, and that's why he has the reptilian but also oceanic qualities. I mean... He mm. did. I've said it before. He and Lovecraft were like best buds. No, yeah, I know. But I just, I don't know how much Cthulhu came from reptilian. Mm-hmm. Every time you know. we say best buds, I imagine them skipping in a field with like a picnic basket. But like going, all in black and monsters. gothic. Yes, I, mean, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Probably would have if Howard didn't kill himself. Hmm. 
We'll have alternate realities, yeah. guys. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, they're skipping through fields right now. No, no, no. <laughs> cross planes. Yes. Um, so that was stories. So now we're in abduction. Um, alien abduction narratives sometimes allege contact with reptilian creatures. The first recorded supposedly real abduction by the reptilians took place in 1967 in Ashland, Nebraska. Officer Herbert Schirmer of the Ashland Police Department claimed to have been taken aboard a ship inhabited by reptilian creatures, humanoid beings with a slightly reptilian appearance. He wore a winged serpent emblem on the left mm. side of their chest. Um, and but a lot of skeptics consider this claim to be a hoax, but you know, is what it is. Cool. It sounds cool. <laughs> I'm intrigued, and I'm kind of like, what kind of unit are they from if they actually have like reptilian like why would they need that i'm like i'm gonna gonna dissect that part of the story more than anything else um one day i'm gonna come back as something that can be described as winged that's on the goal list i mean technically i feel like you can if you have your eyeliner you know what i mean like your (laughs) baby steps lady (laughs) baby steps towards there um Now, the conspiracy portion of this uh, topic is the idea of reptilians was popularized, so not created, but brought to the mainstream, by David Icke, or Ike. Um, He's an English professor. This is, I love this part. I shouldn't laugh, but I'm sorry. Um, He is an English professional conspiracy theorist and former footballer and sports broadcaster. Very okay. well rounded. I love him. I know, cats, that is someone shut it down. who's well rounded. <laughs> no, cat. He's well rounded and has hobbies. <laughs> he is the author of over twenty books and numerous DVDs, and has lectured in over twenty five countries, speaking up to ten hours to audiences about these conspiracy theories. He wrote the Robots Rebellion, R- Robots Robots Rebellion. Oh, sorry. And the truth shall set you free. The biggest secret. And Children of the Matrix, um, in which he developed his worldview of New Age conspiracism. Hmm. I'm getting, I, just, I got a weird vibe when I read about him. Um, his endorsement of the anti-Semitic forgery, the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, and in his uh, novels, The Robots, Robots Rebellion, and The Truth Shall Set You Free, led his publisher to refuse publishing his future books, um, and then so he became self-published after that. So, there's there's that too. But either way, he claims shape-shifting reptilian aliens control Earth by taking on human form and gaining political power to manipulate human societies. Ike has stated on multiple occasions that many world leaders are, and are possessed by, so-called reptilians. Yep. So do what you will with that. So that's one I've heard. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, I gotta give you some pop culture references. Um, early appearance was in a story called The Lizardmen of Bahlo in 1930, so before Howard, um, by Francis Flagg. Um, Gorn from Star Trek, mm-hmm. Drax from the film Enemy Mine in 1985. The television franchise V features the Visitors, a lizard like alien race who disguise themselves as humans. Oh, yeah. Right? And then, you know Doctor Who has multiple of these. There's just... I oh, thought yeah. it would It's Doctor Who. Yeah, I thought I remembered some sort of a reptilian episode with them. So, there are reptilian alien species, but there actually are... Like, one of the prominent characters who's reptilian is from the underground race. Okay. Um, of 
some, and I don't know how it's possible, don't ask me, it's Doctor Who, but just a dinosaur-human combination hybrid, and they survived under Earth, and they have, like, a whole civilization down there, and this particular person came up and started working, but, like, it's it's a it's a weird kind of kind of situation, but they are very different. Okay. One was developed on Earth, which technically we could all say we're aliens, because we were all developed from the little dust that came from the meteor that hit Earth. We're not going to get into that either. <laughs> Morgan's like, no. <laughs> um, We're all aliens. Yay. Which is why I think they're being very careful to say extraterrestrial, because we are terrestrial at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, words. They could be fun. They can also be awful. Um, but yeah, so that was our uh, part, two part two of Aliens. Yeah. Um, cool. Which I think is pretty neat. Uh, there's always going to be more to talk about, so you know we'll see in the future. Why do people think Hillary Clinton is a reptilian? Because they don't like her. And they just want to have an excuse I mean, at this point, to not like Trump her. Would Trump be the reptilian because he has gained the place of power? I highly recommend if someone just wants gross. to go on a deep dive, is just look up YouTube videos of people ranting about what president is a reptilian and then see they're like, them circling on the YouTube video where <laughs> they're, they have head lumps. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> Starting with George Washington, we might we might post that YouTube video on Facebook just so that we can uh, help guide y'all. That'd be hilarious. But yeah, so uh, <laughs> did you know that no officer in the military can outrank George Washington if they give an officer like more stars than him? Then he posthumously gets uh, not updated, not upgraded, <laughs> but he he gets promoted, promoted to the next level. So he's always the highest ranking officer. He gets a he gets a litmus <laughs> test. Uh, <laughs> First President Perks. So dumb. Because it I'm totally not... matters to a dead guy. Yeah, no, I'm not going to even get into that. Um, but yes, uh, if you don't already, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Um, keep up with us and our when our, ske- our stuff's coming out. Um, and if you want to see pictures of our podcast pets. And the um, coven corners. And the cover corners and everything. If you don't have social media, that's totally fine. If you want to tell us any future topics you want us to cover or you want to answer these coven corners, you can just email us at possiblyhauntedpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Yay. And you know me. Aliens freak me out. I know. Forever and always. But even if you are, you know, the future president, the past president, whether you think you're going to be a president and you are telling tales to NASA about uh, UFOs that you have seen, whether you are a hidden reptilian in the presidency and political power, or whether you are trying to prove your own abduction story, with all of that going on, there is still a very, very, very high possibility that you could be possibly haunted. Ooh.